0: Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we begin a new series looking at Jesus' letters to the seven churches from the book of Revelation. This first lesson seeks to highlight the danger of practicing discernment without love and holding to doctrine without charity. We will see that the solution isn't an either-or situation, but a call to the church as a whole to overcome with perseverance, and to stand firm with discernment, and to practice a life of love from the pattern and imitation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us as we begin our journey to look at the seven churches of the Apocalypse. Uh, There is a battle that is being waged right now. If you heard this on the news, it might strike your attention that you would uh, listen to the broadcaster and find out, well, where, where is this battle taking place? Um, it may be a battle that you cannot see, but that doesn't diminish the severity of the reality of a battle that's being fought right now. It's an internal battle and it's an external battle. Uh, it's one that's fraught with danger. It's one that actually holds for many people. Uh, The decision of an eternity as to whether you live in community with God, in fellowship with him, or estranged and in rebellion with God. I see this evidenced all the time in my little dog. All the time. I, for some reason, thought that it would be a a, a smart idea to take him outside with me. We live in the city in Iron Mountain. And I thought, I won't put him on the leash today. He'll follow me around. Surely he will. He will. And I had a few chores to do outside and uh, my dog's name is Tappy. And as I was out there with him, re- repeatedly I would say, come, stay away from there and, and come back over by me. Uh, he has two very um, severe dangers in his life. One is internal and one is external. The external danger are any any vehicle on the road is a danger to my dog. You wouldn't even see it. You wouldn't even feel it if you were to hit my dog. He's that small. Uh, it would be uh, not unnoticeable. But that is a, it's a very real external danger for him. The internal danger, I fear, has to do with his curiosity. Because as soon as he's off his leash, boy, he is so curious to just sniff everywhere he possibly can. And as soon as, um, essentially, he's out of my sight, I can hear his little chain dangling far off into the neighbor's yard. Where he doesn't belong. And then he means he has to cross the road to get back. I will shout to him, come. I will offer him direction. I will say, I don't need to belabor this. Y'all get the point? My dog, don't listen to me. This is, this is the problem. It's not for lack of trying, though, on my part. Um, I, our text today comes out of the book of Revelation. And um, one theme that we will see repeated every Sunday is a call from the Savior saying, He who has an ear, let him here. Here, And I think, I don't think my dog gets that message if I were to shout to him. He's got two ears, but he doesn't want to listen. And many times he will come and uh, stop short because some new curious fragrance catches his nose and he's not sure if he wants to continue to obey or to go investigate this thing that piques his curiosity. And I'm sure there's nobody here this morning that's like that at all. (laughs) That we would see in reflection to that of my own little house pet, how easily we would be drawn astray by an internal battle of our obedience to God's call all the while knowing that God says what he says to protect us from the dangers that exist outside, for there are two wars going on, a war on the outside and a war on the inside. We're going to start a new series this morning. Um, I've entitled this message, Perseverance, Discernment, and Love. And uh, the title of our series is looking at the seven churches of the apocalypse. Um, That's kind of a... I almost find it uh, shocking today how frequently that word is used. I don't know if you see it even in kind of popular media, apocalyptic or apocalypse shows up all the time. Kind of the, it seems to be the prevailing attitude, the world's ending. Um, I wouldn't doubt that there is, in fact, some truth to this as we discern the times that we're in as being... Uh, changing so very quickly. Uh, Just to clear up maybe some confusion as to what the term apocalypse means, it's made up of uh, two Greek words. The prefix apo meaning um, un or away or the opposite of and uh, uh, the verb to cover. So it, it literally means to uncover. That's what the word apocalypse means. It means to uncover. Can anyone think of another word? What's a synonym? that you would use to, to uncover something, you would be doing what? Did I hear reveal? Exposure. Yeah. Reveal is a good word, which in fact is where we get the title of the last book in your Bible, Revelation, and it's that same idea of an uncovering of that which is hidden. And as we are here moving into the book of Revelation, there's a few things that we need to begin with. Um, in understanding, it's written in a way that is largely symbolic. Many of the terms will be used to draw into the heart and mind of the reader a picture or, or an emotion of what's happening. Um, very infrequently, will that be anything that is literalistically true, meaning a word-for-word Truism of what we read on the page for it's a figure of speech many times and it takes the discerning Bible student um, a time to look back into the position, a culture and the history of the writer. There's a fancy word for that. It's called context. And so what we're going to do as we work through uh, these passages for the next couple of weeks is we're going to do our best to pay attention to that historical context and understand it in the effort for which the writer intended the reader to understand um, you'll find that as we look to the book, there are seven very clear sections, seven short um, indictments, you might call them. Um, they're, they're not officially letters, though they do follow a certain form, but written to seven churches and a spirit that in, in, embodies each of those churches. And so as we're here working towards starting with our first one, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Revelation. And I'm going to begin before chapter two, just to set the groundwork. I'm going to I'm going to try to avoid doing this every Sunday. This is the first Sunday we're starting this. So just to kind of lay some foundations to build on, we're going to start in chapter one, page 1747 in the Pew Bibles. Uh, We're going to start here in verse nine. I, John, your brother and companion in the sufferings and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. Now, who is this? Very good. Good. We're all tracking here. He says, And I hold the keys to death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, And what will take place later? Now, we're not studying the whole book of Revelation here in this study, but that verse right there is a key that will unlock the rest of what's being said. So he's to write down what was, what is, and what will come. Uh, Verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. So here's an explanatory note here. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. All right, so here's our picture. John, in the Spirit, hears a voice, says, write to these seven churches. He turns to look to see the voice. He sees a picture of Jesus, picture filled with so much symbolism as to the color of his hair, what his eyes and his face look like, the sword coming out of his mouth. We're not looking at that so much this morning. But I do want us to pay attention to what Jesus unveils here as the mystery. He says, as he looks at him, he's surrounded by seven lamps, stands with candles, if you will, that are shining brightly. Those are representative of these seven churches. Uh, You've got to make sure we get the picture. Uh, The Son of Man here, Jesus, is very well aware of what's going on in these seven beacons of light, for he walks in their midst. He walks all around seeing and evaluating and knowing what is happening in each of these lamps, which are symbolic of the churches themselves. Uh, Additionally, we see in his hand are these seven stars, which are representative of these angels that belong to these churches. Now, these aren't These aren't guardian angels and commentators are almost in unanimous agreement on this that they represent the spirit of the church. And so that gets us into chapter two, where the very first line that we read is to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? And so the, the message here, the letter that we're going to study this morning is one that is written to the spirit that presides in the church. Wouldn't be something if you got a letter directly from Jesus? You, anybody get those from uh, from Dish or Spectrum? Never get those in, in the mail, right? Limited time only. Bundle. Your, uh, what? We get a lot of those, right? Go right into the trash. What if you found one and you saw the return address just said Jesus? You'd read it, wouldn't you? You'd, you'd pay close attention to whatever this letter had to say. Um, This is the spirit that I want us to have as we study these passages. Um, I want us to imagine what if this letter was written to us? What if our church was the church that was being addressed? How would we come to understand the words of the Son of Man, the words of the second person of the Trinity, the words of your Savior? being given to us. That's, that's what I'd like us to do. And so as we walk through this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump around after we read a little bit with some observations because there's a few things that need to get tied together that don't flow uh, one verse after another. Sometimes we have to tie them together. But we're going to wrap up this morning eventually with just four points of conclusion from our passage and five points of application that I'm pretty certain that you're going to be able to get. And that my hope and prayer is that the Lord will be able to use in your life for how we can obey his word today. Um, so with that, I'd like us to just read through our passage and then we'll, we'll study it. Starting here in verse two, or, uh, chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. And that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. All right, that's it. That's our first letter. Uh, Let's see if we can work through some observations and get our bearings for what's being said here. The first is it's addressed to the church in Ephesus. I'd like to share with you a little bit of background here that you and I would come to understand better what's going on in Ephesus. Ephesus really wasn't the capital city of its region, but it was treated as such uh, because it was the crossroads. It was a convergence of three great trade routes. And so one of the very first things that you will see in Ephesus is that it had a high degree of uh, mercantilism or co- commerce. Um, it was a place for, for buying and trading. It uh, was a free city. Um, it was self-governing, though under Roman rule. It Um, It was called the Vanity Fair of the Ancient World. So you could, if you wanted to buy or trade or sell, this was the place to be. You wanted to be in Ephesus. Uh, Additionally, it was part of the kingdom of Pergamum. Uh, This kingdom was pretty large, in fact, holding about a quarter of a million people. And so you'll see a large population in Ephesus as well. Um, uh, Some estimates would uh, place it close to current day Grand Rapids. If you've ever been uh, to, to the city, I checked population numbers. And in terms of the, the realm at that time, it would be somewhere between the city of Grand Rapids and almost the entire population of the UP. If you combined every everyone together, that's the number of people that we're talking about coming and going and buying. And so maybe brings to mind those fast highways of cars and everybody's busy going which direction and this and that. Uh, that would have been the attitude here. In Ephesus, uh, but the prevailing feature in Ephesus was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It was the Temple uh, of Artemis. Artemis being the the Greek name for the fertility goddess of nature. Uh, it's believed that uh, years earlier, as it was being built and founded, they worshipped at uh, the shrine of a tree, an ancient tree here in the middle of the city. And there around it, they built the temple here to Artemis. If you were Roman, you would have called her Diana. So if these are probably terms that you maybe have heard in the past, the temple of Diana, the temple of Artemis, that's one and the same. But here it was the size of a football field. It boasted over 127 marble columns. It was uh, burnt and rebuilt and burnt and rebuilt many times through the ages. Um, Those who gazed upon it said that it even caused the other ancient wonders of the ancient world to pale in comparison to the glittering um, majesty of this temple. This was, in fact, one of the primary opponents, the battle. That was given for the Christians in Ephesus. And so how they would come to understand what it means to worship a God in the midst of a pagan culture. Uh, This is what Ephesus would look like. If you look with me back in our passage, uh, verse 2 lists out for the church, beginning with some commendations. Uh, They're doing well on a lot of things. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. Um, All uh, things that we would long to have spoken of us, right? Imagine Jesus wrote you a letter. You would want it to start with that, right? You are hardworking people. Boy, you persevere and you don't quit. You don't give up. Uh, there's a few other issues that will have us to look back and see that the church in Ephesus was really struggling to wrestle with the right teaching. They would have loved our last series that we did on the creeds because look at what Jesus says next. He says, I know that you cannot tolerate Wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them to be false. Um, You will see some false teachers that are listed down in verse 6 if you jump down there with me. He says, uh, But you have this in your favor, you hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Uh, The Nicolaitans here, uh, we don't translate what the word means. But, but nikaō is a verb that means to consume, and the second half of, of that title comes from the Greek word for people, laos. So nikaō laos or Nicolaitans, um, we, we might translate today as a people eater. Uh, they they just consumed people. That that's that the that's the title that is given to them, uh, devouring people, if you will. And so that's the picture of the church, their attitude. Um, The Nicolaitans here are mentioned throughout these early New Testament letters that Jesus writes to the churches. it shows up for the letter to Pergamum shows up in the letter of Thyatira. And the indictment that's given is that they actually have a sustained presence in the church. Think about that for a minute. The commendation given to the Ephesians was, I know your deeds. You don't tolerate wicked men. If someone claims to be an apostle, hey, I got the word of God, you need to listen to me. The Ephesians were like, "Ah, time out. Let's make sure that you do. Uh, What is it it you're trying to convince us of? And we're going to test it to make sure that it's true. Very much like the Bereans were. Whatever's being said, they're going to evaluate to see if it's right. And the Ephesians here are noted by Jesus. Lauded and praised to say, when I take a look and I walk around your lampstand... Here's what I see. You don't tolerate wickedness. You show false teachers to be false. You show false teachings to be false. And yet, there still is within the church some who are practicing things that ought not be. Commentators to help us understand who these People eaters are these. The practice of the Nicolaitans. They say that they are those who have embraced an element of Gnosticism. It's this idea that the body here is inconsequential, and so freedom within the Christian life means live any way you want. And in their liberty, these Nicolaitans have have taught and uh, held to this idea uh, that God does not hold standards against how you want to treat your body, and you have liberty. To live and act and treat the body in any way that you would like. That was happening in the church. That was yet to be condemned. And yet Jesus says, I know you hate that. I know that you don't want that to be part of your fellowship. I know that you know that doesn't belong as part of your fellowship. I want to make sure you recognize one thing. Jesus does not say, verse 6, look back there with me. He does not say, you hate the Nicolaitans. What? What does he say? You hate the. You hate the practices of them. Make sure that we're we're clear on this. Um, the, the, much like our children's message, there's no good putting dots on them. Jesus doesn't hate them. Jesus loves them. Jesus loves these people, but he knows that what they're practicing needs to be hated. Uh, we today sometimes refer to this as love the sinner but hate the. Have you heard that before? Right. Um, I think this is a clear example where you can see that even from the lips of Jesus, that the practices are what we condemn. It's not the people. We want to save the people, but we want to reject that wrong uh, living the behavior that's being brought into the fellowship there in Ephesus. Now, this should not be anything that catches the Ephesians off guard. They, they sh- they, in fact, they were warned by the Apostle Paul on this. In fact, if you were to go back to Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul, <coughs> excuse me, he had, he had strived and lived with the Ephesians for three years, teaching them day and night, but now he's leaving. The Apostle Paul is going on uh, further into his missionary journeys, and so he gathers the elders in Ephesus around him. Here's what he says. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, And will not spare the flock. Where do the wolves come from? Inside or outside? Is there a battle outside, folks? Church, is there danger outside? Absolutely. Uh, Here's Paul's warning. I know this is going to happen, but look how he continues. Even from your own number, men will arise to distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Where is that coming from? Inside or outside? It's coming from inside. There's a battle that's being waged. Inside and outside. He says, therefore, be on your guard. Remember, for three years I never stopped warning each of you, night and day, with tears. This is not any new information for them. Um, The issue here with the Nicolaitans is that of compromise, trying to take the truths of God and the societal requirements of their culture and say, look, can't we all get along? Can't we all get along? And there are just certain restrictions that I think the church is too strict on and we're going to use a word that's a very dangerous word, compromise. We're just going to compromise our beliefs and, and uh, live and let live, essentially, within the church. Sometimes I think that we do this without even realizing we do it. It's such a part of our culture. Um, if you're driving up here on M95, what's the speed limit? Yeah, who, who, who drives 55? Raise your hand. You're in chair training. Here's the thing I've noticed. Uh, cars like to go 60 or more, um, and they will tell me if they want to go more. Um, uh, but then if they spot a trooper on the side of the road, guess what they all do? <laughs> <laughs> they don't speed up. Uh, everybody somehow magically starts going 55 until they get to the point where they don't see the trooper in the rear view and then and then guess what they do? back up to well look everyone's doing it right it, it no one's getting hurt no one's getting caught everyone's doing it and so what do people do what's that c word again that very dangerous word they compromise and they go along with what everyone else is doing uh, this here is exactly the warning that paul gives uh people will come and they're going to distort the truth it's still going to sound like truth it's just going to be twisted a little bit it's going to be changed a little bit um So we start out with these commendations. I I know what you're doing right. You're doing these things which um, which I approve of. The things that you hate, I also hate. It'd be great if that was the full scope of the letter, but Jesus here also holds something against them. Look with me in verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. It's a difficult thing to hear um, there isn 't too much discussion within the commentaries over what this means uh, there's a slight nuanced difference as to how it gets played out applicationally, but essentially the agreement is this is the loss of affection for God in the face of having to stand against false teaching that 's did everybody catch me on that it's it 's a loss of a tender in a simple affection for Jesus because you've been having to stand opposed to false teachings for so long. So in your effort to be faithful and true, to keep things pure, you've actually lost this simplicity of the devotion that you would give. And This is a great danger. If I were to try to bring an illustration, I would think of marriage and this. I might... I might be in trouble here. I should probably scratch this off my notes, but here we go. So, when I was first dating my wife, I would take her on a lot of dates. Um, I can remember wanting to show off a little bit for her. I don't know, fellas, you know, you remember those days when you were just dating, right? Um, I even wrote her a song once, right? Acne faced Ryan. Hey, I wrote you a song. <laughs> you want to hear it? Um, just I love you so much, right? Um, Write her poetry. Um, we, we would even in college, we, we would pray together uh, frequently. And I would love to have you think that's because I'm so righteous, but I really wanted to spend more time with her. So um, it had me to think about what it was like when I first became excited about knowing God. I wanted to spend so much time with God. Um, I would be the first to chapel i would come and i'd sit in the very front row right there i'd be the first one there and then after chapel ended uh, at my university um i would stick around and i'd have to go shake the hand and talk to the speaker because i was just so on fire and excited about the things of god um, i would find in my free time i'd have my bible out and i'd be underlining and circling and it'd be coming to life in front of me um, i would find uh, throughout the week Inspiration of, uh, of songs or movements that I would get behind the piano and I would write songs to God about His love and His faithfulness and His promises. And I would pray to Him throughout my day. Well, in the same way that um, after you've been married a little while, um, sometimes things don't always look the way they did when they first started. Now I'll make comments to my wife, well, why didn't you make the bed this morning? And um, instead of cooking and and Preparing this great meal of time together, we just, uh, let's just eat some chips, right? Because we're tired. (laughs) And she very kindly will let me know, whenever she's still leaving the house, because she's so much better at this than I am, she'll say, honey, I'm leaving, and I'll be like, oh, you're still here. didn't even know you were still here. Um, And sometimes the way it is with God, I wonder if I still seek to give God my best. Uh, I, I wonder if I maybe have lost my first love of that time I would spend in his word by somehow thinking I'm accomplishing devotion to Christ, reading a little app on my phone with two sentences for a devotional while I'm sitting on the toilet. <laughs> I don't think that works the same way in God's eyes as it once did. It seems like this is this is different now. Or maybe when I'm binge-watching whatever might be on Netflix, imagining that God were sitting right there and I would look across and say, oh, you're still here? There's something that can happen without being watched, and it will happen subtly in your life. You will lose your first love, and you will find the more that you have to live in a world that's opposed to the things of God, you will exchange the simplicity of heartfelt devotion, for this idea that you have to remain faithful. You have to remain strong. My, my challenge is we're going to work to application is that it's not an either or. And I don't want to get ahead of myself here. It's not an either or. I want, my ultimate call and challenge is that we would recoup both of these in our lives. Um, however, I want you to see before I can move on to that, that the place where a love for God. Yeah, everybody still with me here? You're with me? A place where a love for God is most manifest is in a love for others. Everybody with me on that? If you want to understand what a love for God looks like, and if you feel like, I wonder if I were to kind of give them a metric report card over my own spiritual walk, you could do that by asking an example, well, how much does your love for others look like? Here's Jesus' words. You remember this from John 13. He says, uh, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you not do your devotional." Are you not check some box that, oh, I went to church on Sunday. It's a love for others that manifests a true love and devotion for God. Or this one from 1 John. He says, if anybody says, I love God, and yet he hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. So, If you and I are going to give an evaluation, much like the Ephesians should, as to where we stand on our first love, the place where we're most regularly going to see it is how we love one another. Um, I want us to actually go back and look at the Ephesian letter. So hold your spot here in the book of Revelation. Please turn back in your New Testament to the book of Ephesians. And I want you to see how very well the Ephesians did at love. They weren't simply good at it. They were great at it. Ephesians chapter 1. 1664. Page 1664 in the Pew Bibles. Just, just a real quick uh, two verses here. Chapter 1, And um, everybody with me? If you found it, say amen. 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 All right, if you're still looking, say Lord help me. Nobody. All right, here we go. All right. Ephesians 1, verse six, uh, 15. Look with me in verse 15 and 16. For this reason, Paul says, Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Check that out. What was the reputation of the Ephesian church? Faith in whom? Faith in Jesus and love for who? Yeah, you knew about this church. As you're going through what what is now present day Turkey, as you're on these trade routes, as you're hearing stories, you're hearing about this, these people who gather together in Ephesus. Oh, ain't that where the temple to Artemis is? Yeah, they don't go there. They worship the risen Savior, Jesus, and you'll know it because they love everybody. They're overflowing with love. He says in verse 16, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers. The Apostle Paul's response to understanding a church that just exudes love is thankfulness, But I want you to fast forward in his letter here to chapter five, because I want you to see Paul once more giving the warning of false teachers and false teaching that is going to creep into the church. Go to Ephesians chapter five. We'll just start here in verse one. He says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let nobody deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, don't be partners with them. Okay, here's why I'm reading this. How many things in this short little section of chapter 5 were things they should be doing? How many things were things they shouldn't be doing? Do do, do you see the majority of what Paul has to say here are warnings about, hey, make sure you're not doing this and don't be doing this and don't be doing this. Now imagine if you got one of these letters from the Apostle Paul. Would you not pay attention to the things you shouldn't be doing? And I can imagine here the church in Ephesus is really focusing on, hey, we've got to make sure we're, we're getting rid of the sexual immorality. I don't even want to hint of it here. We've got to make sure we're getting rid of kind of this off-color language and abusive uh, way that we, we speak to each other. We've got to get rid of that. Uh, we've got to make sure we're throwing out any of these false teachings that don't belong here. Do, do you see how that becomes for them, what they focus on? And I think they miss. Just the first two things they were supposed to do. Verse 1, do you remember what it was? These were the positive things they were supposed to do. Be imitators of who? Yeah. Be imitators of God and live a life of what? Live a life of love. Those were the two things he started with. That's, that's how you're supposed to act. My fear is they, much like many people, are going to pay more attention to the things they shouldn't do. We shouldn't be doing these things. And when you do that, you end up losing The simple, pure, heartfelt devotion that they started with. Imitating God. Living a life of love. Because we got to get rid of all this. So here's what I want to do. Let's look at some conclusions here. As we look at this letter, what can we take away? Number one, your church will encounter false teachings from outside and from inside. Uh, if, If there's something that we can say is true as we learn to listen to the Spirit. Who has ears this morning? Anyone have ears? Then listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Because if this were written to us, the warning is false teachers and false teaching. It's outside and it's, it's inside. All right? So that's number one. It's going to show up. Second conclusion is this. You must be intolerant of false teachers and false teachings. I'm getting that directly from the text. If you look back with me into verse 2, you'll see. Once more, he says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked men. Now, what's the word that means that you don't tolerate something? Yes, you are intolerant. Now, when I wrote that down, I thought, I'm not sure that people hear that word the right way. I think that word has really been become a minefield uh, for not what I mean to say. So I had to look up the word intolerant. Here are some of the synonyms for intolerant. It means biased and bigoted and dictatorial and disdainful and dogmatic and fanatical and fractious and hateful and indignant and irritable. Irritable and racist. It means xenophobic. It means communist up here. Did you see that one? That's not what I mean. I I want to reclaim this word in the place that it's given to us in verse 3 or verse 2. The Ephesian church doesn't tolerate that type of false teaching. And so they're intolerant to it. So let me give you a couple examples that I would imagine you also are intolerant to. Let's say there's somebody that is allergic to uh, gluten. It's called having celiac disease, right? Uh, They are intolerant to what? Wheat. Wheat products, right? Are they racist to wheat products? Are they bigoted? No, we would understand that. No, this is a proper use, that they're intolerant to it. Um, how about uh, if you walked in on your uh, child or a grandchild having a, a, a show on television just laden with profanity? Just cursing like the day is long. Are you, are you going to tolerate that? You, oh, you intolerant Christians. You're so communist. <laughs> How about when it comes to your spouse having an affair? Anybody willing to tolerate that? You're so intolerant. Do you you see how that word has gotten misused? You need to be intolerant on a lot of things. And when it comes to the church, here's the observation that we need to hold to. You must be intolerant to false teaching and false teachers. They were. And Jesus commends them for that. All right, number three. Uh, and this is, this is the place where, okay, some, some of you at this point are like, yeah, preach it, pastor, I'm with you. And, and this is the one where you're going to be like, uh, hold on a minute. Here we go, number three. If unchecked, intolerance will cause your love for God to grow cold. Here's the warning. If you're on board with saying, yeah, no false teaching in my church, then pay attention to this one. Because if your intolerance goes unchecked, It will cause your love for God to begin to wane and to grow cold. In fact, the more that you have to stand in opposition to false teaching, the more you will lose that first love. The more you will lose the simplicity of that heartfelt devotion to God. We see this. Jesus warns us of this in Matthew 24. Listen to his words. He says, speaking of the apocalyptic time, speaking of his return, Jesus says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith. And they will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. You've got to pay attention to the growing cold. Why is that growing cold? Because of the increase of what? So wickedness is increasing... Where in their lives, you understand what he says here. He's saying that it's going to be an enemy that grows up around you from outside and from within. And if you're going to hold firm, this increase is going to cause that love to begin to grow cold because you stand intolerant to that false teaching. You will begin to exchange a, a, a stance for faithfulness and devotion to God and leave that simplicity of the heartfelt devotion behind. That's the exchange that we'll make. Your love for God will grow cold. So this must not go in a church unchecked. Third, fourthly and lastly, a cold love for God results in a cold love for others. If your love for God begins to grow cold, it will also grow cold for others. We see. Uh, if you think with me in your Bible, who, who in Jesus' day were the people who thought they were most... Doctrinally correct. The Pharisees, right? How was the Pharisees' love for people? Uh, just one verse on that. This is out of Luke's Gospel. Jesus speaking of them, these teachers, he says, While well, all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes. And loved to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces, and have the most important seats in the synagogues and places of honor in the banquets. Who, who, who are these guys caring about most of all? Others or themselves? Yeah, that's right. They, they they're holding to what they think is doctrinally correct, and because so, they're losing a love for everybody else. They oh look at this. They devour widows' houses. That's a Nicolaitan right there. That's a people leader. And for a show, they make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. If your love for God begins to grow cold, your love for others will also begin to grow cold. And so here's what I want to leave you with in points of application. We have to just turn right back to our text. If you look with me in verse 5, we have three verbs that are given. You need to underline these in your Bible. Don't let me lose you here at the end of my message, all right? Hold on, because this is how you need to apply this into your life. Number, uh, verse 5, remember, there's the verb. You need to remember the height from which you've fallen. You need to repent, do the things you did at first. And you need to do the things you did. at there, there they are. So remember, repent, and do. I want to offer you to that in these three ways. First of all, before we get to remember, I want to leave you with remain. In no way does Jesus say, look, you've got to quit this being discernful of these false prophets. Just get along with everything. Just compromise left and right. He never says that. And so the first thing you do is you need to remain steadfast. You need to remain doctrinally correct and sharp, holding to the truth, unwilling to compromise, intolerant of false teaching and false teachers. So persevere and be discerning about false teachings and endure the cultural tides. Uh, The way that you do this is not by standing on your opinion. By the way, I, I mean, your opinion is not worth any more than mine. Honestly, right? And so we should not care about, well, this is what I think we should do. Um, If you want to stand on truth, we stand on who? God's Word. We stand on the Word of Jesus Christ. Jesus gives an example of this that has to do with my metaphor here here of tides. He says, once there was a man who built his house on the sand. And the waves and the wind came, and what happened to his house? Washed right away. But then there was another man who built his house on the rock. And when the winds came and the tides rose, his house... So Strong, what was the rock? It was his word. If you build on his word, you will stand strong and you will be able to persevere. You will be able to be discerning and you will be able to stem the cultural tide. Because honestly, folks, the things that we have today that are allowed would never be dreamed of being allowed a decade or two ago. Do you see how quickly the world is changing? It's like the tides coming in and moving out. So remain. That's my first challenge. Number two, remember. Here's my question to you. What did worship look like for you when you first believed? I would strongly encourage you to answer that question. What did worship look like for you when you first believed? Boy, when I, when I first believed, as I shared with you, I couldn't get my nose out of God's word. I wanted to pray with anybody that I found. Um, I would write songs about God. I can't remember the last time I wrote a song about God. Just that simple, honest, heartfelt devotion. What about you? You've got to answer this question. Otherwise, you're not obeying the command of verse 4 and 5, which is, remember. Go back in your mind. Think through, what did that look like? What did that feel like? Just to be excited about Jesus. To have a love to share with everybody that I came across. Number one, remain. Number two, remember. Number three, repent. And the word here is a Greek word, metanoia. Um, it means a change of your mind it comes from the root noise. Your your mind. It's it has to do with what's between your ears. And it says, no. I need to go back. I need to turn. I need to change. I need to make a decision to embrace that first love once more. Number four, return. So this is my this is my word for the the do command. Remember, repent and do. I'm calling it return. So. In this command, it's not an either or. It's not a, hey, compromise and just get along with everybody. Just love everybody. No, nope. add to your discernment by showing your love for God by... Do you remember what he said in Ephesians 5? What were the two things you should do? Imitate God and live a life of love. So don't, don't divorce yourself from being discerning. Don't divorce yourself from saying, no, this is what God desires to see as true teachings... Keep those things, but then add back into your life a love for all people and an imitation of loving others the way Jesus would love. Lastly, I have received because we have to end in verse 7 with these words He who has an ear, let him hear. Uh, Look at at the passage with me. Verse 7 He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the. What's that word? It doesn't say church. We, we might suspect if this was a letter written just to the Ephesians, it should say, hey, if you got an ear, make sure you listen to what we said to the church. It says, listen to what he says to all of the churches. This is why this message means something to you today. This is why we have to really listen. If you have ears, don't be like my dog. Don't be drawn away after your own curiosities and desires. Ooh, what's this like? Listen to the voice that's being called out to you. Don't lose your first love. Don't compromise. Make sure that you imitate God. Live a life of love. For there's a battle that's happening within, and there's a battle happening without. Let's pray.